Welcome to the Gensler Design Podcast. The Gensler Design Podcast creates a dialogue between design experts, creative trendsetters, and thought leaders to discuss how we can shape the future of cities through the power of design. I'm your host, David Calkins, the Regional Managing Principal of Gensler Asia Pacific and Middle East. Today, we'd like to discuss how the pandemic has challenged us as designers to rise to the occasion and create better opportunities for interconnectivity in our future world. Without our physical studios, materials libraries, and in-person teams, our design process has shifted and our sources of inspiration have evolved. With us today is Gensler APME Workplace and Tech Leader, Neil Christopher, and also Vignesh Kaushik, our Regional Design Technology Director of our Gensler Asia Pacific and Middle East region and also Greater China to discuss how processes have changed since last year and offer insights on how to stay plugged in and to find design inspiration even amid these challenging times. Neil, Vignesh, welcome to the podcast. Before we begin, can you tell our listeners about your role in Gensler? Neil, how about you first? Great. Thanks, David. Um, Design Director and Regional Tech Practice Area Leader, together with my colleague, Tanya in Bangkok. Um, and I work across a number of projects in the APME region. My focus mostly is in workplace, but in particular, how the role of technology might play in facilitating and bringing us on board into the next paradigm of work. Oh, interesting, Neil. Well, thanks for being here. It's great to have you with us. Evignesh, how about you? Hey, everyone. I'm Vignesh, the Regional Design Technology Director for APME and the GC regions. Uh, I'm an architect by training but a technologist at heart. My team takes care of the design technology aspect of the design process, and we work closely with the project teams to innovate using advanced technologies for our clients. It's great, Vignesh. Well, thanks, and it's, uh, it's great to have you with us too. So we're going to have a good and in-depth conversation about workplace and technology. But first, I'd like to ask you how the workplace dynamic shifted since the outbreak of COVID-19 virus. How do we rethink the way we work, play, and communicate? Neil, what do you say on that? Well, it's a fascinating time, isn't it? The office, I think, used to be a place where people went because they had to. Meetings happened in conference rooms or they happened in person or and, and desks took up the bulk of the space. Even with us embracing activity-based working across the region, still there's been a significant change. I think the pandemic has exposed the office to competition from a number of areas, remote working, home and so on. And it's brought up a host of questions about how it should be designed in the future. Well, let's start with the office, what the office is for, for example. In the past, the office was a place for employees to get their work done, whatever form that took. Now the other conceptions of this role is it's jostling for attention. Some think of the office as the new offsite, for example. Its purpose is to get people together in person so they can do things that remote working makes harder. It's forging deeper relationships, personal relationships, and collaborating in real time on specific projects. Others talk of the office as being a destination, a place that has to make the idea of getting out of bed earlier, to make the commute worthwhile in order to mingle with people. But how do we make this commute attractive? The layout is largely devoted to people working at allocated desks alongside the same colleagues each day or anchored to a neighbourhood. Even if they are working in an ABW environment, it feels very 2019, you know, with fewer people coming in, with more emphasis on collaboration, mentoring and connection, fewer desks or any could be assigned to individuals or teams. I think that we're going to see the dynamics of the experience of people um, or the workplace. We're going to see how that changed 
and how that characterizes destinations that support a remarkably wide range of activities or working styles or even business models. For example, the rise of the gig economy has made knowledge as the entrepreneur within the same business. How would this drive rapid change in the context of the post-COVID world? This is even more important. For us as designers, designing such spaces to bridge the gaps between teams is important. One tactic is to set aside more of the office to showcase the work of each department, for example, so that people who never encounter each other on Zoom can see examples of what their colleagues do community work, so to speak. Another option is to ply everyone with coffee, food or drink. Um, So expect more space to be set aside for socialising and events. Bars and offices are apparently becoming a big thing. Um, We're seeing a lot of requests for places like large auditoriums where companies' clients can come together for experiences. Well, that's interesting, Neil. You know, finding our teams with food and drink, that came out of, straight out of the Silicon Valley, I think, and it's uh, really spread all over the world, so even into some of our Gensler offices. But as you said, the purpose of the office has changed, and uh, the workplace is changing at an unprecedented pace. And I think really across the globe, we've seen a fundamental shift in how and where work happens. So among these um, really profound shifts, organizations, developers, and landlords, they all want to know what they can do to optimize their real estate. So what are the meta-trends impacting the workplace and how is uh, design responding? It's interesting. I think that what will set them aside is the experiences that developers build into buildings for tenants and employees. We know that workers around the world still place a great deal of value in the physical workplace for social interaction, mentorship, deep concentration and collaborative work. We also know that to compete in a war for talent, companies must also support an ecosystem of workplaces, both in and out of the office, where talent can thrive. And so this is an opportunity to rethink the physical workspace, to offer a unique and fulfilling experience that can attract people, whether that's through new technologies like the work that we're doing with Ignesh or through different types of spaces. Designs, I think, for the post-COVID office will and must allow for this hybrid work. Meetings have to work for virtual participants as well as in-person contributors. So cameras, screens, microphones will proliferate, of course. The challenges in these environments, however, is to both recognise the need for these virtual collaborations, but also not let them dictate and drive, for example, the design of spaces at the exclusion of in-person participation, particularly if we're trying to encourage people back into the office. So this variety will be another theme. People may plan to work in groups in the morning, but need to concentrate on something in the afternoon. This variation, however, is being provided not just across a floor or within a building, but interestingly across a portfolio of spaces. And I think that this is actually something that perhaps developers are recognising. And indeed, we're working with a number of them at the moment across Australia. How can they support a fluid, flexible tenancy model that promotes this ebb and flow or expansion contraction um, and a variation of use across a portfolio of buildings for a single tenant? Some really interesting challenges, I think. Also, employers should also focus not only on enhancing workers' physical health through biophilia and wellness design, but through also building personal professional relationships for this mental well-being. And I think this is really, really critical. Extending this to the widest reaches is important. Anxiety, for example, is emerging as a critical issue for many people. And so it's important the office of the future adopts elements that support this. A time of lockdown during COVID, loneliness was a large influence of anxiety. And so we need spaces to tackle this. Companies extending this idea of equity beyond race, gender and generations to create equitable work experience for employees who are working in person and remotely 
to create this culture of inclusivity and belonging, this, I think, is going to be fundamental for our clients in the future. Vignesh, you know, in the last two years, we've really become far more dependent than before on technology to remain productive and, you know, frankly, stay in business. But it seems that embedding technology into an evolving workspace needs sort of a fresh approach, fresh thinking, not just moving the same content and same processes to digital and not just hanging equipment on the wall without much thought. The new workspaces must need to be designed to integrate technology. Yes, you're absolutely right. Technology cannot be an afterthought anymore. The quality of the workspace as we speak is not just about the physical workspace but it is also about how we integrate the virtual and the remote workers as well. As I see it, system and network design is slowly becoming an integral part of the workplace design, and it can't just be a plastered add-on in that sense, right? In general, technology should be an enabler and not a hindrance to collaboration and creativity. What this means is when an employee steps into a meeting room, there should be nothing to figure out, both in the physical and the virtual participants can contribute equally and collaborate with ease. In a way, we should be looking at developing the virtual company culture as well. But the way we can approach this is also about how we make the digital and the physical workplace measurable. So by embedding sensors and other space monitoring systems, businesses can now know effectively how their workplace is being used and what behavioral change management strategies need to be put in place for better and more effective consumption of their real estate. So this allows the workplace designers to also constantly evolve the workplace as the needs and the dynamics of the business changes and evolves over a period of time. So if you think about that, in this sense, right, there is no end state to design here. And the businesses can truly leverage a subscription model of sorts, like almost like a Netflix. Designers would then be able to swiftly sort through and crunch through uh, an immense amount of data collected through these embedded sensors and other space monitoring systems to truly understand the behavior patterns in the workplace and adapt certain parts of the design to reflect and enable certain behaviors. Vignesh, we were the other day discussing predictive analytics and how we might use that as a tool to analyze certain design solutions that we might develop. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes. So there are research-backed data that we can actually encode into a computational model. So we can actually have agent-based simulations in our workplace designs that will mimic human behavior as it has been measured and as it has been found in workplace design in the past. And we are trying to mimic that in a simulation so we'll know how a certain workplace design performs and we're able to predict basically Uh, through user behavior agent simulation models and get a lot of analytics on how the workplace as an indicator of good design and how we are able to change parts of those workplace to enable or restrict certain user behaviors when the space would get built in that sense. So it's fascinating that we could take designs and evaluate them to see how well they work for particular clients before we get them built. That I think is a very powerful tool and something that we'll be using into the future. Oh, that's fascinating, Vignesh. Thank you. Neil, you mentioned inclusivity. How can we design uh, new systems that optimize not just productivity, but also that sense of inclusivity? I think productivity is going to be measured in new ways. If we change the way that we work and we change the kind of work we do, and we change the types of skills we need to do this work, I think we also need to begin to measure this productivity and inclusivity in different ways. 
So I think our mindset has already begun to acknowledge mental well-being is an active thing rather than passive. So I see a future that not only supports well-being and inclusivity, but actively pursues and identifies the strength behind these differences and uses them to build confidence, awareness, empathy, resilience, and in turn, makes us more powerful as individuals and as diverse teams. Vignesh, coming out of the pandemic, as we inevitably will, it seems like speed and agility and the ability to adapt our design and the way we approach our work innovatively is more needed than ever. It's crucial for us going forward. How do we leverage those things and propel ourselves into the future? So traditionally, design and 3D modeling activities have been somewhat disconnected from computational intelligence because most of the time, the data and intelligence comes after the fact, post-project. What we have done with our technology ecosystem is to change that game by giving designers and clients real-time access to a wide array plus an expansive set of design variables that they can use to make informed and predictable design decisions that's balancing farm, function, business, environmental, social, governance, all kinds of demands from the clients. In the pandemic, we launched our own proprietary computational design tool called the GFloors. This is a computational product which is part of the Enfarm ecosystem of Gensler. And GFloors in particular allows our designers and clients to leverage the rich data that Gensler has and combine that with the bespoke metrics for that particular project to test interior workplace projects, right? test fits. So what this allows is, is for designers and clients to work together in real time, collaborate, explore options quickly, test assumptions, rapidly iterate spatial layouts, add or refine variables, understand the implications of design decisions early in the design process. So we are taking our clients in this journey where we are able to seamlessly pivot and adapt and change to the demands of what the project requires. So for example, I was recently working with this large developer client with tenants across multiple buildings, across multiple floors, and we helped them make agile decisions around density and test fit options. So by having this customizable GFlows dashboard that updates in real time as you work. So our designers don't have to stop the design process, get into Excel, do some number crunching, then come back to the design process. That's not there anymore. You continue with the design process and you have this dashboard that rapidly updates the different variables in the design and you're able to see the form and function related to these metrics and different design schemes. So by using this customizable dashboard in front of the client, we are then able to see how the client reacts to the change in ratios of work seats and collaboration seats. You can look at how, what's the change in program targets, what does it produce. So we are able to innovate on the fly. So by coupling the innovation, the technology innovation, um, along with what our designers bring to the table, which is uh, human empathy, creativity, experience, we are now able to tackle some of the world's most complex challenges. And by investing in tools like this, we are not just leading the industry, but we are also leading a paradigm shift in how designers approach our work in a, in a more data-driven manner. So we are informing a whole new generation of designers that are able to take these data that's given to them in real time, 
and they're able to ultimately use this to their advantage and ultimately result in improving the workplace design and contributing to enhancing the human experience. Vignesh, you just talked a lot about the technology and the automation that we're bringing to the design process, but it's not our intention to replace human designers with machines, right? Can you talk a little bit about what our approach is to enhancing the design process through technology? Yeah, I honestly believe it will be a long, long time from now before we can actually replace a small aspect of what our designers do. I honestly believe that we can automate parts of the process that are mundane, parts of the process in in such a way that you are giving real-time data back to the designers by very quick computations, but we can never replace the kind of work that our designers do, mainly because it's not just design. What our designers perform in each of these projects is they take empathy, creativity, deep domain expertise, practice area-related knowledge about the client, about the industry, and have immense insights into what they are doing. They are taking all of this and they are embarking on a design journey with the client. And what we are able to do with our proprietary computational products is give them a heads-up display of all kinds of data so they can make informed decisions. You got this almost like when you're driving a Ferrari, you have all kinds of metrics in front of you with which you know how you're going to handle that sophisticated car. It's the same way. In that sense, it adds value to our clients as well because they are now able to have evidence and it makes our the job of our designers easier because now they can articulate their thoughts in a much more data-driven way. Well, it seems like in many fields of human endeavor, technology is providing feedback and able to do analysis that we haven't had previously. And I'm thinking particularly in the arena of sports, let's say, where, you know, athletes are being given feedback and then they see ways to optimize their performance. And really, that's what we're trying to do too, isn't it? I mean, we're really trying to optimize our performance as human designers, but also trying to optimize the product, which is the design ultimately. So, Neil, one thing is certain, the new virtual and hybrid working models will play a big role for many companies. It's playing a big role for ours. So how can technology change the way we work? How has it changed the way we work? How are market leaders envisioning the future of work? And what are the implications for talent, culture, and productivity? Well, we can safely anticipate a lot of change in our physical workspaces from the people there that attend our offices, but also to the tools we use. The workspace of the future is far more intergenerational than it is at the moment. Even now, millennials are about to start turning 40, so they're not too young anymore. And as we go on and on, the retirement age extends out. And with the flexibility that's offered by freelance work, I really think we're going to see that the work environment has a huge number of people in their 60s, 70s and 80s. In Australia, for example, the retirement age is being pushed out to 75 years old and different generations have got different expectations that competitive workplace will need to meet. People entering the workforce, I think in particular, are going to expect a lot more flexibility. They don't want to be at their desk all the time and they want to be doing different things and they want to be able to work from home and they want to be able to move around. They want to be able to stand up sometimes when they work rather than sitting down. And I think that being able to support these different ways that people want to work is going to be really important. And actually, I say people entering the workforce, but it's actually in reality, the whole workforce is wanting this flexibility. 
And importantly, they want the technologies that we use in the office and at work to be as intuitive as a technology we're comfortable with at home. I'll give you a little story, actually. My father, who is in his mid-70s, he is a huge adopter of technology and he's been working and he still works today. I called him a couple of years ago and asked him about the advent of the internet and he told me the story about how he used the internet back in the early, or I should say the precursor to the internet in the early 80s. And he was online chatting to my uncle, he would book Qantas airfares, he would do his internet banking. And we had this really great conversation. Um, and at the end of it, and let me remind you, he was in his mid-70s, he said, oh, Neil, it's really fascinating. You're the first one that's just called me and I've taken the call on my iWatch. And so I think that we've got these misconceptions about what generations want. And I think we need to anticipate and accept that these technologies that we use in the office are adopted by people, not just young people. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, I think people in all walks of life and sort of all age ranges want to embrace technology, but it does have to be intuitive. I'm thinking of an elite car company a number of years ago brought out a new model that was tremendously capable, but to operate it, it was tremendously complicated. And there wasn't sufficient training that was either given or willing to be received by the owners of those new cars. And so there were problems with them. So they weren't intuitive enough. And that's really, you know, as important as it gets, I guess. Along those lines, Vignesh, the workplace of the future is certainly digital. It already is. Technology already provides advanced communication tools connecting workspaces to clients and collaborators worldwide. We're seeing that in our practice. What, what's next after that? I think that see, we all know the immediate future of the workplace is hybrid, right? So what this means for the workplace and for the people in that workplace is that technology is truly intuitive. It needs to be ubiquitous. It needs to be seamless in such a way that people won't realize where the technology begins and where it ends. Now, we need this primarily because we need everyone to collaborate creatively, whether is it over a screen or over a physical board. They need to join meetings, both physically and virtually, without any difference from an experience point of view. The workspace of the future is becoming truly borderless. So we can share talent and resources from across the globe effectively with the help of the digital and communication tools. And the talent can be sourced anywhere in that sense. In the not-so-distant future, what I think we will have is we will have a fully immersive social experiences within a digital twin of the workspace that enables remote workers to socialize and get to know each other. Having said that, no amount of technology can replace the need for physical human connection, which is where a great workplace design with an eye for uh, detail in terms of digital integration becomes the key in ensuring employee mental well-being, productivity, creativity, collaboration, and everything. Yeah, thanks, Ignesh. Couldn't agree more. So we were looking at our workflow last year within our region and then outside of our region. We're a very collaborative organization, Gensler is. And so our eight offices last year in our APME region worked with 30 other offices around the globe on various projects. It's kind of amazing. We we're uh, really calling ourselves a borderless design firm at this point. But you're right, there's nothing that can replace the human interaction and sitting across a conference table looking each other in the eye or uh, just being in the same place and getting to know each other better. I'm actually this afternoon flying to the Middle East uh, for my first business trip in over two years, and I'm really looking forward to meeting the team there and spending time. So it'll be great to have that level of human interaction again. 
So we're hearing more and more, Vignesh, about the metaverse. I hear the word metaverse mentioned in the media quite a bit. What is the metaverse and how does it define or redefine the future? See, I feel recently the application of metaverse is restricted to internet-based video games and social media. The metaverse, in the wider sense of the word, is predominantly a method for an enhanced user experience, right? It's to improve the quality of immersion in the virtual reality environments where you almost get the feeling of being physically there in the same space, but you are not, obviously. So in the past year, what we have seen is a tremendous shift in the work culture with remote and hybrid workspaces becoming the new normal. The application of metaverse uh, in, in improving work productivity, in creating interactive learning environments, and to facilitate virtual reality meetings is immense, in my opinion. Yes, there's a lot of innovation we can bring in terms of all these aspects. Metaverse could also help us push the concept of the hybrid workplace to its extreme by providing multiple choices with respect to work location, with the way we want to work, with the way we want to work in a virtual environment. There is no physics. You can have a 500-meter cantilever and it's not going to fall on a person. It's not going to hurt anyone. So, you know, it's going to really push the boundaries in terms of what we think a virtual space could be. The, the idea of sharing and collaboration and making it more effective and accessible than ever, participating in meetings in a more immersive manner and, and actively contributing to these discussions and almost gaining a near physical experience. That's the whole point of this metaverse. And also people can have virtual personas, which can either be an extension of the physical ones or they could have a completely different persona from their physical one. It will certainly add to the fun and character of the workplace dynamics. But of course, with all new technology, we have to see what happens once the fad wears out. And we will then know really how many employees really want to put on their virtual reality headsets for an extended period of time. There are also, at this point, safety data privacy concerns with the metaverse. You know, so we have to really depend on how the virtual reality headset technology grows and evolves in the future. There is, at this point, definite fatigue in wearing these VR, AR devices over a long period of time. So that may dissuade uh, a part of our crowd, at least, from using the metaverse. So yeah, this is to be seen. Vignesh, it's fascinating to think about it. I've heard it described as sort of a place of uh, infinite commerce. And it's amazing to me that people are spending real money from the real world to sort of buy and create things that to me don't really seem to exist. So we'll see how it progresses. Neil, I just wanted to circle back to you and ask you if you had any final thoughts on the hybrid workplace and how to develop effective office spaces and the workplace of the future. Well, I'm really intrigued and excited by the metaverse and what better hybrid workplace could we have than a digital twin that we can do anything in? I think that's a pretty exciting thing and it gives us some amazing opportunities to create environments that are remarkable and places in which people can engage in the virtual world in a truly virtual way, not just video conferencing. So I'd like to think that it's going to explode and can create a really exciting future for us. Well, Neil, that's great. Whether physical or virtual, it's been great to get together with both of you all virtually. So I just wanted to say, Neil, stay safe in Sydney and uh, Vignesh, stay safe in the metaverse. And uh, thank you all for joining us in Singapore. 
You've been listening to the Gensler Design Podcast. I'm your host, David Calkins, and we'll see you next time. Thank you.